0: You think about it this morning, the body of Christ, and uh, it, it puts us in a bind when you think about it. Where well, The Bible tells us that he was bruised for our transgressions. His body was bruised, and his stripes are what brought healing to us, and I'm thankful that he was willing to lay that down for us so that we could be saved and call heaven our home and God our Father, amen. It sure is good to see you here today, glad to have you back on another Summer Sunday And uh, do pray for our people that travel. I told my class this morning, uh, I says I hate it when we're not all together. I hate it. You know, I'm thankful we have vacations and uh, get away and have time where we can spend time with family and get refreshed and get recharged. But I love it when the family's all together and I miss it when they're gone. Uh, We had to be gone this past week with the young people down in Gulfport. And I had a wonderful time, didn't we, young people? Had a great time together. And I got to grow a little bit closer together. I got to learn a lot about them. Uh, And they got to learn a lot about me, and uh, I got to learn a lot about you, mom and dad. And uh, I have the dirt, I got the dirt on you, know a lot about your home and your family, and uh, let's just say, you be nice to me, I'll be nice to you, and nobody will ever know some of those things that are happening, <clears throat> or as the young people say it, and my daughter cringes, I won't spill the tea, okay? That's the new line. All right, Don't laugh, guys, come on, I'm with you, all right? I'm not going to spill the tea, it's not beans anymore. Somewhere we went from spilling the beans to spilling the tea, okay, I'm not going to spill the tea and uh, tell am Everything, what happened in Gulfport, stays in Gulfport. But man, we had a great time. I, I know everybody wasn't able to go. We had a lot of things going on in schedules. I appreciate. I think 35 teenagers that went had a great time uh, together. Got to learn a lot about each other, grow in the Lord together, spend time. Uh, we look when you spend 45 minutes one way and 45 minutes another way on a boat in the sun, you learn a lot about people. And, uh, boy, we had a good time, though, got sunburned. We'll probably all have skin cancer before it's all said and done, but I appreciate them, appreciate you parents, letting them go. Uh, just a great opportunity for them to grow in the Lord, and then grow as a unit together. That was our goal this past week: grow the unit together uh, to be a, a body in and of itself. That our young people would be a unit that could serve God and fulfill God's purpose and plan here uh, at Central Baptist Church. I do want to say thank you to our chaperones. Okay, uh, if you were a chaperone at youth conference, I want you to stand. All right, and let's give these folks a hand. If you were a chaperone by the gym, you drove the bus, wherever you're at. <clears throat> These people put up with those young people. And uh, y'all can be seated. Thank you. Brother Jim was the best bus driver. Uh, I mean, he wheeled that thing around. Brother Jim got us where we needed to go safely. Just had a great time with that and uh, got to grow closer with them. And I appreciate, young people, uh, your spirit this week. It was great. And uh, I I told my class today, uh, all the other youth groups there know that our group is there now. And they made an impact, they have an identity. Everywhere we went, we let people know who we are because we are central. (laughs) That's right, we did that everywhere. It's an inside joke, maybe you'll get in on it, but uh, they were not ashamed to do it. In gas stations, grocery stores, hotels, uh, elevators, bathrooms, beaches, boats. It didn't matter, Uh, they are central. And I'm so thankful for the youth group. We have a lot of youth. We've got camp coming up. Try to be a part of that, get in on that. But this youth group, I hope that a fire was built this week uh, in the hearts of our young people. And I hope it spreads. That's my prayer is that it spreads. And I appreciate you parents letting them go, uh, getting them there. And uh, we'll have a little video here before long, not today, but uh, let you know some of the things that went on. Thank you for praying. We give out prayer list there on the Wednesday night before to Sunday night before. I appreciate you praying for them. And we had some young people come to trust Christ, some young people make decisions of commitments to the Lord, and I appreciate that, and I'm excited about what these these young people are going to do for the Lord in the days ahead. Okay, let's take our Bibles out this morning, if we could. Turn to the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth, Uh, not far there into the Old Testament, the book of Ruth, Joshua judges Ruth. And uh, we're going to pick up in chapter 1, chapter 2. I do want to remind you right quick, tonight, uh, Senator McDaniel will be with us tonight in the service. He'll speak before I preach. Uh, and then after, we're going to have some coffee with the candidate and allow you uh, to speak with them. I want to encourage our folks tonight, if you don't have uh, anything more important than church going on, to be here tonight, okay? Uh, it's important we bring folks in, that you are here to support them and let them know that our church is genuinely interested in electing godly people uh, to the posts that are going to be leading our state. And tonight, we'll be talking about the Christian influence in our government. So please be here tonight for that. Uh, and then afterward, look, uh, I know our teachers, taught us, there's no such thing as dumb questions, Uh, but look, take the entire afternoon and come up with a good question, okay? Uh, don't ask them about getting a culvert for your driveway or, you know, a new ordinance where, you know, cows, if they get out, you can shoot it and keep it or something like that. All right, come up with a good question if you, do, if you have one. If not, just come in, let him know you're praying for him. And I want to try to do this a little bit more often where our folks will have more of a voice in what we have going on in our state. Ruth chapter 1, if you're there, let's stand together. We'll also have Howells Anderson College with us tonight. They'll be singing before the service. We've got a lot of good things going on. Come out and support your church tonight, amen. Ruth chapter number one, there is a lot to tell about Ruth. A lot goes on in just four chapters. I'll not be able to tell it or preach all of it in in the short time that we have. Uh, But let's pick up in verse number one and then we're going to kind of skip through chapter one and get to chapter two. The Bible says, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, the Moabites, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, uh, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. Now watch the turn this story is about to take in verse 3. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab, the name of the one Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelled there about ten years. Emelon and Chilion died also, both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband." Verse 6, then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people and giving them bread. And verse 7 down through about verse 11, they are returning to their country, if you will. Verse 11, and Naomi said, turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? So she's telling her daughters-in-law, you go back to your country, I'm going to go back to mine, you go back to yours. And the story goes on to tell us that Ruth tells her that she will not go, she's going to stay with Naomi, but Orpah decides to go back. Uh, They return into Bethlehem. We're going to pick up in chapter 2, verse 1. Let's continue reading. We'll fill in the blanks a little bit later. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless thee. Now, pay close attention to this next part before we pray. Then said Boaz unto his servant, that was set over the reapers, whose damsel is this? He sees Ruth out there picking up and gleaning in the field. He says, who is that over there? Verse 6, and the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, it is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Let's stop there and pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful, beautiful picture. Father, this isn't just a story. Thank you, Lord, that it's a true story, and an account of what you did and, Lord, what you're trying to show us a little bit about who you are through the lives of the ones we just read about. What I pray that today, Lord, you would paint this picture ever so clear in our hearts of the truth that you want us to learn. Uh, Father, I can't do it with my words, I'll, I'll do my best, but Father, I can't, uh, Lord, bring conviction, I can't give insight, Lord, like you can and your spirit can, so I pray your spirit would not be quenched today, that Lord, anything that we have today in our hearts that may be displeasing to you, help us, Lord, confess it, repent of it now, that Lord, your spirit might have liberty today. I pray you give me liberty in the preaching, help me to say what you'd have me to say and nothing else, for it's in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I love the story of Ruth. Uh, Oftentimes when I will read a passage or tell something about a passage, I know I say that a lot. But the story of Ruth or the account of Ruth is a beautiful, beautiful story. Uh, Hallmark could not come close to writing uh, an account of just how beautiful of a story it is in the life of Ruth. And what God's about to do in her life and bringing her life full circle. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. I want to encourage you to read all of it sometime and let it sink in. Uh, Many, many years ago, Benjamin Franklin was speaking at a club in France called the Infidels Club. And the Infidels Club was exactly what you would think. It was a club of intellectuals who had no need for God and just wanted to sit around and talk about what was new and what they had learned. And even in our culture today, we have folks, even in, sometimes in churches, you have folks uh, along that line. They really despise the Bible, but uh, they, they want to know and just to have a collection of the knowledge. And the Infidels Club focused on intellectualism and the intellectual hierarchy of mankind. Well, every time they would have these meetings, people would come and they would tell about different things they had learned. And so Benjamin Franklin knew they despised the Bible and he decided, I'm going to trip them up. So he comes in and he tells the story of Ruth, but he doesn't use her name. He doesn't use the name Ruth or Boaz. He changed the name and he doesn't tell them it's from the Bible. And he tells the story of Ruth how it is an ultimate from tragedy to triumph. It is a beautiful picture uh, of beauty from ashes. That's the story of Ruth. And by the time it was over, uh, the head of the Infidels Club, after Benjamin Franklin spoke, he says, This story needs to be published. And this story needs to be told all around the world. And he says, Well, as a matter of fact, it has been published, it's in the Bible. And it has been sent all the way around the world. It's the story of Ruth and even the infidels found the story of Ruth beautiful and how God took this woman's life and turned it all around. Now, I want to show you just a real quick review of her life. You look down in in chapter 1 and verse 1. Here's Naomi and and Elimelech and they have two sons, Malon and Chilion. Can you imagine your name being Chilion? (laughs) You know, I'm sure it would be cool in some generation at some point. we look down and we find in verse, uh, verse number one, there's a famine in the land. You look down to verse five, Malon and Chilion have died. So here in just five verses, there's a famine. Her father-in-law has died and now her husband has died and her brother-in-law has died. You keep reading, they're, they're going to go with Naomi or, or at least Ruth is going to go with Naomi back to Bethlehem. and So now she is, watch this, she's widowed. And now she's going into a foreign country. In just a few short verses, this young lady's life has been turned upside down. All right? So we have three funerals, a famine, and a foreign land. I told my wife that yesterday. She she said it sounds like the beginning of a bad joke. Three funerals, a famine, and a foreign land. I mean, what a horrible, horrible story. I'll be honest with you. If this was a movie, I would turn it off. I wouldn't want to watch this movie. I don't know about you people who like watching movies where you cry. I think you're unstable. I really do. I I joke about it. Now, lately I have watched a few Hallmark movies with my wife, and maybe there was a little uh, moisture buildup there in my eyes during the movies. Uh, They weren't as bad as as Brother Brent and I used to joke about that they were. Uh, But I don't like watching sad movies. I don't want to read sad books. You know, sometimes in ministry that's real life. And when I watch a movie, I want to get away from real life, you know? I don't, I don't want to be sad all the time, but this is a real story, and if I were reading this in a book, or if I were reading this or watching this in a movie, I would want to turn it off because I just don't like sad movies. I told you before, and I'm going to get a little more in-depth on this this morning. I, uh, years ago, my wife had a date night, and we're going to watch a, a cartoon together, and it was a movie called Up. Have you seen the movie called Up, all right? You know, Mr. Carl with the balloon. We're going to watch this cartoon, and the first five minutes of the movie... They, they can't have children, and the wife dies, and he's standing there over the grave of his wife, and they saved up all this money to go to Paradise Falls, and they had this postcard of going to Paradise Falls, and the wife dies. I look at my wife, and I said, turn this off. I don't want to watch this. I mean, I'm serious. You folks who love watching that stuff, I'm just not sure about you. You know, you want to watch this stuff that breaks you down and makes you all sad. And I, and I told my wife, I said, I don't want to watch this. You know, a movie about not having children and, and then the wife dying and not getting to go to Paradise Falls. Yeah, no thank you. I'd rather watch a western or a space movie. Something, you know, something at least with a little adventure in it. And I remember what my wife told me. She said, let's just stick with it. Let's just stick with it and see how it ends. And I'm thinking, well, this is not the great way to start off a date night for sure. So we stuck with it. I watched it and ended up enjoying the little movie and it had, a, had somewhat of a happy ending that were there. And I, I began thinking, I walked into her office yesterday and I took pictures. I want to show you some of the pictures right now uh, around my wife's office. You guys can just click through them. Uh, there's a picture of the house with balloons. One of our kids drew that for her, made that for her in the library. And, and then there's another picture of the house with balloons that are there. And you keep looking around her office. There's one of the quotes for the movie, Adventures Out There. And then, uh, and then there we are. And we're acting out the people in the movie. Uh, and then on her desk she's got this candle warmer that all goes back to that movie. And here's what I thought to myself. For the movie that started off so bad... And that I wanted to turn off and I didn't want to watch it. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. It's amazing now in our family you look around at how much of the references to that movie are there. But we didn't get there by accident. Stick with me. We had to stick it out to get to the rest of the story as Paul Harvey used to say. That we get into a story and the beginning of the story is not good or we get into a place in our life and we're thinking to ourselves, I don't want any part of this and uh, we want to just quit. I don't like this story, I don't like that movie, I just want to turn that off and sometimes we do that in our spiritual life. We quit on God when we get to a chapter of the story we don't like. We decide, you know what, I, I, I don't want anything a part of this Christian life if it's going to be difficult and something that I don't enjoy. And yet Esther, I'm not Esther, Ruth, would stick the story out. Ruth decided, you know what, we started off with three funerals, a famine, and a foreign land. But I'm going to stick the story out to see what God's going to do with the rest of the story. You go on and read through chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. And you find out that she went from funerals, famine in a foreign land, to life, love, and leaving a legacy that would ultimately include the Lord Jesus Christ. She didn't quit on the story. She stuck it out and she was faithful. Now, I want you to look down to verse 16, chapter 1. I want you to notice that she was committed to it. When Naomi says, go back to your people, she says this. Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee, for whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. She was committed to the conclusion of her story. She wanted to see what the rest of the story was going to hold, and no matter it may have started off wrong and had some chapters she didn't like, she was committed on waiting for the rest of the story to be written. And why is that important to us today? Well, I assure you that everyone in here is either going to have a chapter, or maybe you are in a chapter of your life right now, and you want to turn the movie off. You want to close the book. Three funerals, a famine in a foreign land, no thank you, I'm done with this, and you're going to not be committed to the rest of the story that God wants to write in your life where it it shows life and love and a legacy that included Christ, and I want to encourage you this morning just for a few minutes on the thought of waiting on the rest of the story waiting on the rest of the story, and I'm going to show you this morning why you ought to wait to see what God has for you in your walk with him, and I believe this morning Ruth's going to encourage us. Now look down if we could, I I want to show you something in chapter 2. When they finally arrive in Bethlehem where Boaz is at, they sought out his countrymen or Naomi's husband's countrymen, and the Bible says in verse 2 that Ruth decides to go into the field and glean, she was going to do that for her mother-in-law. Verse 3 says, when she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she just so happened to land there in the field belonging to Boaz. The first thing I want you to notice this morning is down in verse 4, where the Bible says, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, the Lord be with you. They answered him, the Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant, watch this, that was said over the reapers, whose damsel is this? Whose damsel is this? This is important. Stick with me. Some of us are going to go through times, all of us, at some point or another, at places in the will of God for our life where the story's not going to be what you would desire it be. We had three or four of our members just in the hospital this week. I'm sure that was not on the schedule. That was not on the plan. And You get to parts of the story that you don't like, but can I tell you this morning, you ought to wait on the rest of the story. Wait to see what God will do through the difficult times. And Ruth shows us in verse 4 why this is important. Here comes Boaz and he says, hey, who is that? Who is that? She's out there picking up the stray pieces of barley. They're out of the field. She's gleaning in the field. And here comes the owner of that field and says, who is that? Now, she doesn't know it. But her life is about to forever be altered. As soon as Boaz notices her out there, he says, Wait a minute, who is that over there? He took notice of her. Kind of like some of our young people this week. We won't talk about that. Come up to me, Hey, Brother Jeremiah, who is that? I'm like, none of your business. You don't even know who that is. Well, they're kind of cute. I'm like, Okay, I'll take your word for it. They took notice of them. And I said, Hey, just wait. One day, God will put all that together, okay? Now, Ruth didn't know it, but her story was about to take a drastic turn, and it all began when Boaz noticed her. Someone with the power to change her story had taken notice of what she was going through. Now, this is important, folks. God wants to show us how he works in our life. And we ought to, this morning, wait on the rest of the story. Why? Number one, because God has taken notice of our situation. We're here and we're going through life and we have a difficult place in our life. And you get to a chapter that you don't like. Maybe it's in your home. Maybe it's with your children. Maybe it's with your job. Maybe you feel like Ruth. You've gone through a famine, three funerals, and now you're in a foreign land. And you're thinking there's no way this is going to end well. Can I tell you something by way of encouragement today? There is a holy God on the throne in heaven, and he has taken notice of your situation. He knows where you're at. He sees what you're going through. He knows the struggle you're facing, and God wants you to know he's still on the job. Now, the end of this story in chapter 4 ends with Ruth being a part of the very lineage of Jesus Christ. Didn't see that coming, did you? Didn't see that coming. I mean, for a story that starts with funerals and famine and a foreign land to end with a legacy of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Can I tell you, God did all along. There's times in our life where we go through these difficult places, funerals, famines, feel like a foreigner in the world we're living in. I don't know about you, I feel like a foreigner sometimes. And we're going through all of this struggle and strife of life and you wonder this, does anybody out there care? You Ever felt like that? Does anybody out there care? I mean, folks, I'll be honest with you. There's times all of us in our walk with God, you wonder, God, do you care? You may not admit it this morning, but you do. So how do you know that? Well, I'll give you an example. Mark chapter 4, I'll read it for you. Here's the disciples. They're in a boat. They're out there on the water and the waves are tossed. Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. Watch. <laughs> Peter didn't go over to Jesus and say, could you calm the waves? What did Peter say? Carest thou not that we perish? Carest thou not? I mean, don't you know what we're going through? Can I tell you, I believe Peter was just being honest there, and it's the same way a lot of us feel sometimes. You're out there in life, you're struggling in life, you're gleaning in life. Do you know what gleaning is? Gleaning is just getting by. You're going through the field and you're picking up a little here, a little here, and a little here. You're not really excelling in life, you're just getting by. That's what gleaning is. And sometimes, as a child of God, I feel like I'm gleaning. How about you? Be like, boy, I'm just barely getting through. I'm just barely getting by. I'm not all that I could be, but I'm just bumping along. Can I tell you something this morning? There's a God in heaven who knows exactly where you're at, exactly what you're going through, and has the answer to all that you're facing. You ought to wait on God for the rest of the story. I know right now it may look bleak in your life. Funerals, famine, foreign land. Hey, it may look like that now, but there's a happy ending as long as God's in charge. But here's the problem. The problem is, we think nobody cares. Frank Graff wrote a hymn many years ago that you'll know well. It's page 168 in our hymn book. Frank Graff was known as the sunshine minister. Wouldn't that be wonderful if that was your testimony? Man, that person's just a ray of sunshine. That was Frank Graff. Frank Graff was always optimistic. He was an encourager. He loved children. Uh, he preached uh, over 100 years ago and preached and folks were encouraged in their faith. Listen closely about the life of Frank Graf. In 1880, his older sister died. In 1882, his middle sister died. In 1886, his mother died. 1887, his father died. In 1901, uh, his youngest sister died. By the age of 40, two-thirds of his immediate family were gone. You're like, I don't like this story. I don't like what I'm going through. I don't like what I'm feeling. I don't like the burden that I have on my heart. He sat down and began to ponder whether or not God knew where he was at and what he was going through. Can I tell you what his conclusion was? Frank Graf's conclusion was the song, Does Jesus Care? Let me read the words for you this morning. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained, too deeply for mirth and song, when the burdens press and the cares distress? And the way grows weary and long. When we live long enough, we finally begin to understand what these songs are saying. We realize that this person who wrote this, wrote this chapter out of a chapter that many of us would have turned the page. When you lose sibling after sibling and parent after parent, you begin wondering, does Jesus care? Could I encourage you through the story of Ruth this morning? There is a God in heaven who has taken notice of your situation. He knows where you're at. Don't think for a second that you've gotten lost in the crowd. Don't think for a second that God's got too big of things to handle to worry about your problems. He knew exactly where Ruth was, and he was writing a beautiful story with a wonderful happy ending, but she had to stick it out to find out the rest of the story. There's a beautiful passage. My wife and I were talking about this yesterday in Genesis chapter 16. It's the only time in Scripture that this particular name of God is mentioned. And it's when Hagar was dismissed from the house of Abraham. Genesis chapter 16, verse 13, the Bible says this, speaking of Hagar, And she called the name of the Lord that spoke unto her, Thou, God, seest me. Look up those four words, thou God seest me. It's one of the names of God, and it's only mentioned in the Bible one time, right there in Genesis chapter 16, verse 13. It's the word El Ro I. It looks like El Roy. El Ro-I. Do you know what it means? The name of God there in Genesis 16 is the God who sees. Here's Hagar, she's been dismissed from the house of Abraham, and she's going to just wander in the wilderness and die. And yet God shows up in her life, and God lets her know, Hagar, I see you, I see you, I know where you're at. You've not wandered outside of my eyes, and God intervened in her life. Can I tell you something this morning? I don't know where you're at. The thing about a pastor is, I can't see into your heart, and I'm glad I can, I'm glad you can't see into mine. I don't know where you're really at, but God does God does. You may be going through three funerals, a famine, and feel like you're in a foreign land. Can I promise you, God has not lost track of you. God has not forgotten about you. He said, well, I just feel like God has abandoned me. No, he said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. And if you just knew that, maybe this morning you'd wait until the rest of the story to see what God's going to do. How many years ago, 1987, I believe it was, we lived in Vicksburg, Mississippi. Dad was uh, superintendent on the job there at the Waterways Experiment Station. And, uh, and so we lived on a terraced hillside in Vicksburg. And uh, the place that we lived was on one terrace. And we had neighbors down on the other terrace and neighbors down on the other terrace. It was probably about 20-foot elevation difference in between the terraces. Uh, my sister will remember this guy. Uh, his name was Wesley Ming. Uh, Remember him, mom and dad? Wesley Ming. He was our neighbor. I hope he's a good guy now and and maybe he won't feel bad that I'm talking about him this morning. Um, But Wesley lived on the terrace below us. And Wesley was bigger than I. He was more street smart than I. Uh, And Wesley could whoop me if he wanted to whoop me. Remember, I was a nice guy. Didn't know how to fight a whole lot. Didn't feel the need to fight a whole lot. One day I'm down there. We're playing at Wesley's house. He gets mad about something and he shoves me. I'm like, all right, here we go. I I didn't have any formal training in karate, martial arts, you know. I watched Barney Fife, you know, with his, you know, concealed weapons. And I'm thinking, all right. You know, I was thinking, you know, if I'd have known my Bible back then, I could have acted like David. You know, when he left the slobber start coming down his beard, and it scared him so bad to, like, get that guy out of here. Hey, that's a good biblical reflex. If you can't whip the guy, just act like a lunatic, and maybe he'll leave you alone. I didn't know my Bible very well back then. That's why you ought to read your Bible while you're young, okay? And so I'm down there on that lower terrace, and Wesley pushes me. And so I'm like, okay, I push him back, and then we do that awkward dance where we're just kind of dancing around, wondering who's gonna lay the first punch. And I'm just hoping it's not him. That's what I'm hoping. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, this is probably not gonna turn out well. He's bigger than me, smarter than me. He knows how to fight. I don't know how to fight. Well, evidently my sister had slipped off and went back up the hill to where mom and dad were, and, and let mom and dad know. And I didn't know she did that. By the way, no, I didn't ask her to. You know, I'm not a chicken. I might get beat up, but I'm, I'm not going to go get my sister to go get help, you know. And, and so we're down there, and we're pushing kind of a little bit, shoving a little bit. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, up on the top of the hill, I see two somethings standing up on the hill. And I glance up, and it's mom and dad. Mom and dad came out. I'm like, all right, get him, get him, you know. No, I didn't do that. They didn't say a word. They didn't say a word. They just stood there on the hill, and they watched. Suddenly... When I knew dad was up there, and mom too, you know, mom could throw down, I'm sure if she needed to, she's a country girl. When I knew that my dad was up there on that hill, suddenly I realized, okay, it's not going to get out of hand. Uh, You know what, I might as well throw into it, go after it, why? Because dad's not going to let this guy beat me up. You see, when I realized that he had taken notice and that he was up there looking down, and he wasn't going to let it get out of hand. He wasn't going to let the problem overwhelm me. Suddenly, I listen, it was like a shot of steroids in my arm. Why? Because I realized somebody had taken notice. Somebody who could change everything. Somebody who wasn't going to let it get out of hand. And can I tell you this morning, that somebody in your life is God. And he's up on the throne of heaven, and he wants you to know, I know you feel like you're gleaning this morning and barely getting by, and you've gone through so much, and you're thinking, God has forgotten me. Can I tell you, as the rest of that song says, yes, he really cares. Oh, yes, he cares. He's looking down upon you, and he's taking notice of your situation. Now, look down if you real, real quick. I'm going to hurry. <clears throat> he was, she was gleaning. Now, this is important. You look down, verse number 2. The Bible says, in Ruth and Moabite said unto Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after the field. Now this is important. Here comes Boaz. Boaz, beautiful type of the Lord, type of Christ. You see Christ in Boaz, the example that he's setting. He looks out into the field and he notices her struggle. She's gleaning. She's gleaning. He says to his men, "Who, who is that? Who is that young lady who's coming through just picking up the scraps? Of the leftovers that are there in the corners of the field. You read in Leviticus, the corners of the fields that were there, they were allowed to come in and pick that up. They left that behind for the poor and folks who didn't have as much. And here's Boaz and he says, Hey, who is that young lady struggling out there? Can I tell you something just to encourage you a little bit today? God sees your struggle, God has taken notice of your struggle. The whole point of Boaz. You're like, well, God included this wonderful romantic story in the Bible. That's not the point of it. Our girls read it and they're like, yes, there's hope. Our guys are thinking, yeah, maybe there's going to be somebody for me. No, that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is to realize that we have a heavenly father who's taken notice of our struggle. And I promise you, our father's on the job today just as much as he was back in the life of Ruth. Number one. Why should you wait around for the end of the story? Well, God has taken notice of our situation. Jeremiah 17.10, the Bible says, "The Lord, I, the Lord, search the heart. I, the Lord, search the heart. You know, one thing we're really good at as humans, it's hiding what's really going on in our heart. Especially Christian religious people, we're good at hiding what's going on in our heart. And I'll come up to you, hey, how are you doing? Hey, doing great, having a great day, praise the Lord, amen. You're like, all right, The Lord knows, no, you're struggling. You're struggling. God looks down there, I the Lord, I try the heart, I try the reins, he says. I can see what's going on in there. Could I just encourage you today, stick with God, stick with the story. Don't change the channel, don't close the book on God. Why? Because you just need to wait and see what he's doing at the end of the story. How's that happen? Number one. Begin by realizing that he's taken notice. I was reading John 11 last night uh, about the story of Lazarus, and ran across verse six and couldn't help but think about this in light of the message today. The Bible tells us that Lazarus is sick; he's nigh to death; he's going to die. And the Bible says in verse six in John 11, when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, listen to this: he abode two days still. Now you think about that. When somebody's sick, you go running, right? Mama's sick, go running. Kids' sick, you go running. The Bible says when he heard he was sick, he abode two days still. I think he wanted us to know something. Yes, he knew. He knew exactly what was going on with Lazarus, and yet he chose to wait. Jesus chose to wait. There are times that God is going to choose to wait in your life, and if God is waiting on you, then you ought to wait on him. Jesus shows up. You know the rest of the story. He heals Lazarus. You know... When God waited two days to heal and raise up Lazarus, it made for a better story. You know, it's one thing if Jesus goes up and says, Lazarus, who you got 105 fever. All right, I've got to give him some medicine. Get him in. All right, you know, that's one thing. But, it, man, it makes a better story the fact that he died. All right? You can't heal dead. Right? I know those guys on TV do it all the time. But, you know, I've never, never seen anybody do it in real life. And here he is, he's dead, and Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus comes out. You're like, ooh, that's a good story. Do you know why we don't have good stories? We don't wait on God. We don't wait on God. You're like, God, I have prayed twice for you to do this in my life, and you haven't done it, so I quit. Really? Really? God, I've been praying about this job, or I've been praying about this spouse, or I've been praying about this move, or I've been praying about this, and I think I've prayed probably three days in a row now. I think the Lord's like, really? I waited until Lazarus died to raise him up. You're like, oh no. Yeah, you may have to wait. But waiting is how we find the rest of the story of what God has for us. Number one, why should you wait for the rest of the story? Well, look at Ruth. She waited and found out that God had taken notice of her situation. Number two, let's hurry if we could. I want you to notice that Boaz didn't stop by taking notice of her. He says, who is this damsel? The reapers told him who he was, who she was. Look down if you would to verse number eight. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not? Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here, fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I, char- have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men. Now, I want to stop right there and watch what Boaz did. Boaz says, Ruth, I don't don't want you, I don't want you to go to another field. I want you to get everything you need right here. I'm going to make sure that I provide everything that you need. My men aren't going to touch you. But I I want you to look down what he says. Um, Look down what he says in verse number 9. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap. So not only did Boaz notice of her. Notice her and say, who is that person down there that I have noticed gleaning in my field who's struggling just to get enough to eat? And they said, this is Ruth. He says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make sure she's taken care of. You know why you ought to wait for the rest of the story today? Number one, because God's taken notice of your situation. Number two, God has taken care of our circumstance, Boaz stepped in and says, I'm not just going to notice her, I'm going to do something about the problem that she has. He goes on to tell his men to drop handfuls of purpose. Now here's what would happen, watch. So she's out there picking up, gleaning in the field, you know, just getting enough to get by. And here's what Boaz says to his reapers, hey, as you go through there, drop some behind. Leave behind handfuls of or on purpose Make sure that she gets more than just a little bit of a gleaning. And doesn't that sound like our God? Number one, God has taken notice of our situation. Number two, God has taken care of our circumstance. God's going to make sure that we have what we need to do what he's called us to do. That's why you ought to relax this morning. Some of you look kind of uptight today. I don't know. Is it tax season? I think we're past that, right? Right? Some of you look all nervous and all wound up. Hey, I know what's going on in the world. I I know the world's tough. I know everybody's going through something. We've had folks that are sick and folks that have died, folks in the hospital. But watch, God's still on the throne. He's taking notice of our situation, and he's taking care of our circumstances. God's going to make sure you got what you need. Now, here's what I want to bear on just for a moment before we get to the last point. Gleaners would go from field to field to field. All right, they're cutting the corn in this field today, let's go there and let's pick up the scraps there. They're cutting the corn in that field tomorrow, let's go pick up the corn in that field. They're cutting it in there, let's pick up that tomorrow. And they went from field to field to field, always trying to find what they wanted somewhere else. And oh, if that is not a picture of how oftentimes we live our Christian life. We go from place to place to thing to thing to fun to fun to whatever it is to give us what we need when all that we ever needed we could find in the Lord. Number two, God has taken care of our circumstance. Acts chapter 17, we read about the Athenians. The Bible says this about the Athenians. They were and strangers that were there spent much time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. Something new. The Athenians would say, I want to hear this new and what's going on. They were fad people, okay? Not fat people. All right, don't get mad at me. Ooh, political correctness, all right? They were fad people. They wanted to hear this new and that new and to learn some new thing. And sometimes we're just like them. We ride the latest spiritual fads going from this field to that field and this high to that high and back and forth we go, moving around like gleaners out in the world. I tell you the truth of the matter is this morning, the Lord wants us to do exactly what Boaz said. He says, look, I don't want you, look at verse number 9. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap. He says, don't go glean in another field. You stay put right here with my guys. They're going to take care of you. And that's what God wants you to know this morning. God wants you to know you can find everything you need right there with him. You don't have to go to another field to find it. Our young people this week, I saw a lot of, I talked to a lot of them after the services, and their hearts were stirred just to get close to God. You know what they're going to find when they get close to God? They find everything in his fields. Everything in his fields. Hey, look, you don't have to come here for your spiritual fix and go out into the world for something else. No, you get it all right in the will of God. You stay in your father's field. Hey, mom and dad, you stay in your father's field. Why? We're teaching our children where to pick corn. That's our problem. They're watching mom and dad. Mom and dad come to church and we pick up a little corn here on Sunday morning and then we go out into the world on Sunday night and we go out in the world on Monday and we're picking in all these fields. Hey, no wonder they're confused. No wonder they're confused. The Bible says here, look not on, upon another field. Don't go to another field. Why? Because I'll give you everything that you need right here. We're living in a world of, of victims, Okay. Now, I'm not downplaying anything that you may have gone through today. I'm not. All of us have gone through something. We're victims of our circumstances, all right? We've all been hurt. We've all been wronged. We've all had tough times. We've all suffered loss. Everybody has, right? We all have. We've all gone through things like Ruth has gone through, and if you're not careful, you'll be content to live there in your victimhood. You know what? I'm never going to be able to do anything. I'm never going to have a happy ending. I'm never, 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 never. Is God still on the throne or is He not? This is simple stuff, folks. He says, look, you don't have to go somewhere else. I'll make sure, but Ruth says, but wait a minute. I went through a funeral. Three of them. It doesn't matter. I'm going to give you a happy ending. But we went through a famine. Doesn't matter. I'm going to give you a happy ending. But I'm a foreigner in this land. Doesn't matter. God can give you a happy ending, but you've got to stay in his field. That's our problem this morning. We're just barely getting by because we're trying to glean from all the world when God says, I have handfuls. Of purpose for you. I'm thankful that God just doesn't want us to get by, does he? God doesn't want us just to be barely living along in the Christian life. John chapter 10, he says, I've come that you might have what? Life more abundantly. Life more abundantly. Can I ask you, are you living an abundant life, Christian life today? Are you living an abundant Christian life? What is that? Well, watch. An abundant life means you've got handfuls of what God wants you to have you got a handful to that purpose that God left for you, or are you just barely getting by, gleaning from the scraps of the world that they left behind? I told my class today, the church doesn't do the world very well. We try to appear relevant. We try to act like the world and talk like the world. We bring the world into the church. Can I tell you something? We don't have to go to the world to find anything that this church needs other than lost people. The only thing we're going to find out there in the world that we need is lost people. Everything else we find right here in the Lord's field. So why this morning? Why the long faces? Why are our spirits down at times? I'll tell you why. It's because we're trying to shop in the world's field. I'll give you an example. <clears throat> we were on the beach. Guys, you have that picture of the beach? I want to show you a picture of one of our young men doing his civic duty, Brother Sam. If you could only hear what that picture is saying. Brother Sam finds this dead catfish on the beach while we're playing football. Brother Sam falls down on his knees. He begins lamenting Steve, the dead catfish. How I got Steve, I don't know, but his name is Steve. And so then Sam starts just crying and lamenting over this catfish. You know, and you look around, there's people looking around. I'm like, we got to get him back to the home by five. You know, it's just, and he starts burying the catfish with sand and writing, rest in peace in the sand. And put a little cross there. And I'm like, all right, Sam, that's good. we gotta, we got to leave him behind. I said, we're not taking him in the bus. We're not taking him back. He was in my room. We're definitely not taking him back to the room. It's dead, Sam. Steve is gone. I mean, I hate to be gross, but his guts were hanging out. All right, something out there in the gulf got him. Maybe in the pollution, but something got him. And he was all mangled up and all messed up there. I said, Sam, you got to leave that behind. Why? Because you ain't bringing it in my room. Sometimes, sometimes we want to hold on to the pain of the past, the famine, the funeral. We want to hold on to that. But wait a minute, I was hurt. Yes, we've all been hurt. But there's a happy ending if you just keep looking to God and keep gleaning in his field. I promise you, God can take your story of Ruth and turn it around just like he did in her life. But you've got to be willing this morning to say, you know what? Steve the dead catfish. I loved him well, but I'm going to leave Steve behind. Why? I want to get to chapter 4. Chapter 4 is where God works and God turns things around. Number 1, God has taken notice of your situation. Number 2, just as in Boaz, God has taken care of your circumstance. He's going to make sure you have all you need. And then finally, I want you to turn all the way over to chapter 4. And we're going to close with this today, okay? Chapter 4, look down to verse number 4. Thirteen. I don't have a, a time to really go into all of the kinsman redeemer, but oh, what a beautiful picture here! Ruth chapter four verse thirteen. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. This is for all the girls. Oh, we heard that a few times this week. Oh, one of the girls found a little otter in the um, in the aquarium, and it was an otter eating celery. It was on the clearance aisle because nobody even wants an otter eating celery. The girl's like, oh. Here's Ruth. And now she's getting married. You're like, this is like a Hallmark movie. She is, she's getting married. Boaz is marrying her. He's making her his own. Now, watch this. Boaz took care of her, but you know, gleaning and picking those crops, that's seasonal. That's a season that comes and a season that goes. Now, Boaz, in verse 13 of chapter 4, is about to take an extraordinary step to assure that Ruth's worries are over permanently. What does he do? He marries her. Or the Bible, if you read chapter 4, he redeemed her for his own. He redeemed her. He says, not only do I want to take care of you, I noticed you, I've taken notice of you, I've taken care of your problems, but now, number three, I want to take charge of you. Number three... The reason you ought to wait for the rest of the story is because God has taken charge of our certainty. Let me explain this to you. Where did she start in chapter 1? Well, there was a famine, funerals, and now she's a foreigner. And yet we keep reading to the end of the story. She went from searching to certainty. She went from loss to love. All because she waited around long enough for God to finish the story of her life. Now, can I tell you something? The end of the story for you and I who put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, watch. He takes charge of our certainty. You see that Ruth didn't know what else her life was going to hold. The boy after she married Boaz, she knew that she belonged to someone who could take care of it all. That's why you ought to wait until God finishes your story. God, listen, as a child of God, 2 Timothy chapter 2, the Bible says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. I belong to God. Not only has he taken notice of me, he's taken care of my needs, and whatever I'm going to face in the future, he's taken charge of that too. He's going to look after it. You say, well, what if the economy implodes? He's in charge of that. What if people get mad? He's in charge of that. What if I have trouble in my home? He's in charge of that. You see, we belong to someone who can handle whatever we're going to face. That's why you ought to wait till the end of the story. God writes the best stories. All throughout Scripture, we see Esther. We see Ruth. We see Joseph. We see all the happy endings that God brought. And as you and I ought to take that to heart this morning and realize, I can face an uncertain future knowing God already has charge of it. Boaz is going to make sure, he says, Ruth, you're mine now, I'm going to make sure you have what you need, don't worry, don't worry. My mother and father-in-law are up in uh, Montana right now, South Dakota area, they're on a vacation up there, and with me as a son-in-law, they have to take vacations every once in a while, amen, amen, that's why some of our church members are on vacation right now. i got to get away from that guy for a little while, and uh, we were talking about going to Yellowstone and the Buffalo up there, Can i to tell you an interesting thing in closing about Buffalo. And I researched this to make sure it was not just a wives' tale, so uh, I'm giving you truth here. The National Bison Association will tell you this if you go on their website and read it. Buffalo and cows differ in one major way, other than what they look like and what they taste like, okay? When a storm comes, a buffalo will face the storm and walk into it. Documented fact. You know what cows will do? cow, I mean, they're just walking hamburgers. You know, cows just huddle up in a, in, a, in a huddle and just sit it out and wait it out. But that buffalo will turn into the wind that the storm is coming from, the direction it's coming from, and that buffalo will walk right into it because here's what the National Bison Association says. They instinctively know that it will be over quicker by walking into it than waiting it out. I went and watched video after video. I'm like, is this real? You know, you hate to repeat something from a pulpit that's not real, right? And sure enough, you saw video after video. After video. I don't know about you, I want to be a buffalo, not a cow. Number one, they look cooler. The little dumb cow with a bell around his neck, you know. Buffalo, he got the mighty horns and that big beard, you know. I want to face whatever storms are coming. And not only do I want to face them, I want to walk into him with confidence. Why? Because there's a God in heaven who's already taken charge of my certainty. My certainty has nothing to do with me. Nothing. What am I made? My thorn in the flesh. Lack of self-confidence. That's always been my thorn in the flesh. Everybody has theirs. I have mine. It's not me. My certainty is from God. Knowing that I have a kinsman redeemer who's taken charge of my certainty. That I don't have to worry about tomorrow. I don't have to worry about the details. I will do my best. But ultimately, I'm just like Ruth. I'm looking to the one that I belong to to take care of me. And I know that he's more than capable to take care of me. Why? He took notice of me when I was just gleaning and barely getting by. He took care of me and sending Jesus to die for me. And now he's taking charge of my certainty. And I'm just going to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. Wouldn't you like to have some confidence this morning? I think that's what Ruth is showing us. Our legacy this morning is not determined by our circumstances. It's determined by staying with the story. If you would, in closing, look chapter 4. Look down to verse number 22. I want you to see the lineage and we're done. Here's the family tree coming from Ruth. And Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat. very bloodline of Christ. What a legacy. What a legacy. She went from funerals and famine in a foreign land to life, love, and a legacy that includes Jesus. You couldn't write that story, but God did. You know why it's amazing? God did. And the Bible tells me that God is no respecter of persons. God wants to finish your story. You may be in a famine, a foreign land. You may be in the funeral part. I don't know where you're at, but let God finish the story. Why? Because you want to have a legacy that includes Christ. You want to be able to look back and see where God's hand was in your home and in your family and your life when you thought everything was falling apart. To the Christian today, I want to encourage you. God has noticed your situation. Don't think for a second he doesn't care. Boaz says, who's that? He took notice of her. Boaz shows us how God is. God's looking down. God sees you struggling. God sees. God may see you struggling when no one else, including your spouse, does. You're struggling on the inside. Nobody else can see that. God sees you're barely getting by. You're barely getting by. You're not living an abundant life. You're just getting by life. God sees, don't think for a second, yes, he cares, oh, yes, he cares, he really cares. Amen. Whether you realize it or not, God has already taken care of your circumstances. Do you know, the Bible says you have overcome. If you're saved, you have overcome. Now you're going to. You already have. Why? Because Jesus already has. And through Christ, you have already overcome. Do not let your circumstances convince you that you're going to lose. You have already won. You're just waiting to win. Amen. That's why you've got to wait till the end of the story. God's going to win in the end. And what a beautiful story it's going to be. No matter how long it takes, you ought to just wait it out. Maybe you're in chapter 1, chapter 2. Wait out chapter 3 because chapter 4 is coming when you have God's happy ending. And there's no happy ending like the ones God can write. If You're here this morning and you're lost. Can I just give you the words of Boaz this morning as we close? Boaz looked at Ruth. He says, you need not depart. You need not depart. Boaz says, Ruth, don't don't leave. Don't leave. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make sure you have everything you need. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, can I encourage you? You need not depart hungry. You can leave here filled you can know that the very same God that I have my confidence in and my certainty in is your God. Because he died for you just like he died for me. The question is, are you going to leave here this morning and go look at another field? Well, I'm going to see if more money will do it for me. I'm going to see if more position will do it. It won't. Don't leave his field. He's got everything you need this morning. And I promise you, just like Ruth, he wants to write that happy ending. Let's stand together. Heads are bowed this morning and eyes are closed.